scripture readings today are from Psalm 51 and Luke chapter 18 verses 9 to 14. Psalm 51, I'm reading from the New International Version. A Psalm of David, when the prophet Nathan came to him after David had committed adultery with Bathsheba. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Yet you desired faithfulness even in the womb. You taught me wisdom in that secret place. Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then I will teach transgressors your way uh, so that sinners will turn back to you. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God, you who are my God, my Savior, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. Open my lips, Lord, and my mouth will declare your praise. You do not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. You, God, will not despise. May it please you to prosper Zion, to build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will lead light in the sacrifices of the righteous, in burnt offerings offered whole. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. And our second reading is from Luke chapter 18, verses 9 to 14, the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. To some who are confident of their own righteousness and look down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, and one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week, and I give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves 
will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Thanks be to God for this message. Will you pray with me, please? God of mercy, we pray that you would shine your light on us and that you would give us courage to stay in that light. Amen. Here we are in the third week of our prayer series, and the prayer for the day is sorry. Now, thank you from last week. Thanks was a real upper day. It was humming in here with the prayers of the people in the fellowship hour after church. People have been saying thank you all week. Folks can really get behind a good gratitude prayer. And we seem okay with the help prayers from the first week, especially when it's something we really need or want. But sorry, sorry is a tougher sell. It didn't even make it into Anne Lamont's book that we're using, Help Thanks Wow, for our series. Sorry doesn't sell books, apparently, and it doesn't really sell church services either. The individual or the corporate prayers of confession that used to be a part of any Christian service you could find are less and less a part of the worship lineup, especially at trendy churches. More jokes, more music, less confession, please. Church attendance and church affiliations are like way down, right, across the country in mainline Protestantism. There is a new article out about this literally every week. This week, the one getting passed around was an NPR interview where someone who had grown up as a pastor's kid talked about his choice to leave the church entirely. Currently, this man says in the interview, he's bringing his stepdaughter to the farmer's market every Saturday. We're kind of like church. There's the same people every week. The folks who show up have some shared values and interests. The farmer's market enacts some tangible good for the farmers, for the neighbors, keeps things local and maybe a little less waste, healthier and fresher. A weekly gathering at the market. A substitute for church? In the face of all the ways that the institutional church has fallen short for the last 2,000 years, right? It's corruption and hypocrisy, silence in the face of injustice, some outright lying to people, or simple irrelevance or an overabundance of time spent in meetings. In the face of all the ways the church has fallen short, People have turned to other places for community. The yoga studio or CrossFit gym, book clubs or close-knit friends. And then for moral grounding, rather than church doctrine, there's the general rule of just try to be a good person. Just try and be a good person. Maybe a little bit spiritual, maybe not. Don't judge, don't hate, be kind. And in response, churches across the board, maybe in a desperate attempt to win people back, have said, yes, that's fine, that's great, just come back to church. 
We'll take out those boring prayers of confession. We'll stop talking so much about how we're all sinners in desperate need of grace. Just come back to church and be a good person here with us. Now, don't get me wrong. It's great to be good. But what happens when we're not? What happens when we mess up? Not because we're depraved, worthless scum, but because we're human. We get greedy. We get lazy. We get proud. We get a chip on our shoulder. Or we act out of fear rather than love, or we pass on trauma to the next generation. What happens when we mess up because we're messed up? as a society because our country was built on land that was stolen and our economy grew strong on the spilled blood and battered backs of enslaved Africans. What happens when we mess up because generations of racism and colonialism and misogyny and deep-seated prejudice against all sorts of people we have labeled as other because all of that poisons the air we breathe in and out. What happens when we try to be good, but we can seem to do nothing to stop impending climate disasters or senseless gun violence or right at home the dissolution of our most dear relationships? If we hold up being good as the answer, and we say religion is mostly just about being a good person, don't worry about the rest. Well, when it turns out that being good is hard, that operating outside of an entrenched collective sin, the stuff we were born into, let alone the stuff we've taken on, is actually impossible, well, then what then? The thing is, the trendy clubs of our culture, our culture itself, doesn't really give us an answer beyond just keep trying. Maybe hope nobody notices. If you can't be good, at least appear good. At least appear better than other people. The Pharisee in our scripture reading today from the book of Luke has chosen this particular route. Now let me be clear. The Pharisee is actually a pretty good guy. They get a bad rap all the time in the New Testament, but on the whole, the early writers and readers of the Gospels would have known that the Pharisees were devout, loyal leaders. The Pharisees were like pillars of the church type people. It was the temple in first century Judea. They were in a churned up world under Roman occupation. Their freedoms were limited and the Pharisees bravely continued to lead the people in practicing their faith. The Pharisee in the parable is not a monster. He is any one of us, someone just trying to be good in a not so good world. He shows up to the temple to pray and he finds himself comparing himself to others, saying, at least I'm not a thief. At least I'm not like that sorry man over there. Again, that's not a terribly abnormal thing to do kind of how we're programmed. In fact, we're so programmed this way that lots of us, myself included, are probably going to leave this sermon thinking, I'm so glad I'm not like that Pharisee in that story. Let me at least try to do better than that guy. 
The Pharisee is seeking to be a good person. He is doing and doing and doing in a lousy world, in an occupied city surrounded by lost and despairing people. He's doing the best he can and he's asking God for credit. His prayer is like a highlights reel. It's like the curated version of your life that you would put on Facebook or Instagram. Look at this, God. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of my income. I don't steal. I'm faithful to my wife. I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. The other guy in the parable is a tax collector. The Romans have enlisted him to take money from his own people at brutally high tax rates, and then he gets a payout for his dirty work. Those systems of oppression we talked about a minute ago, all of the isms, this tax collector has found a way to make that work in his favor. This tax collector hasn't even been trying to be good until all of a sudden, who knows what triggers it, the tax collector gets a gut punch. He realizes that he is missing the mark big time, that he is so far from love so far from God. Now, when we fail at being good, we can take the Pharisee route and try to just be better than most and hope no one notices when we mess up. Or we can take the tax collector route. The tax collector's prayer seems mortifying to me. It is not eloquent. It is not correct in any way. He doesn't even assume the correct praying posture of the Jewish culture in his time. You're supposed to stand up and look toward heaven. Instead, he slumps. He just kind of mumbles. He has no beautiful words. He weeps in public and he asks God for mercy. God, I am a sinner. I am a sinner. Please have mercy. I tell you, Jesus says at the end of the story, this tax collector went back to his house justified. This man went back to his house free because he told the truth. We try to be good, we fail, we come to a juncture where we can cover it up like the Pharisee, broadcast our betterness than others and spend our lives in cycles of self-deceit and desperate comparisons. Or we can own it like the tax collector. We can tell the truth and be free. Now my question is, where are the examples of this in our lives? Of people giving honest, authentic apologies that lead to freedom? Where do we give models for our children to see what it looks like, what it can be like to stand before someone and tell a difficult truth? As much as I love the farmer's market, it's not usually at the farmer's market. And if it's not happening at our churches, where's it gonna happen? Our faith gives us something that our book clubs and our softball teams and our wonderful community service hours and the loving things we do for our family and our friends 
that none of those other things, which are good things, keep doing them. But our Christian discipleship gives us more than the directive and the opportunities to be good people. Our faith gives us a viable, a hard but hopeful next step for when we fail to be good, which all of us do. We are offered the out-of-fashion, not-going-to-make-you-famous path of the tax collector in the parable. Our faith calls us to tell the truth. To tell the truth first to God, and then to one another. Everywhere else in our lives, we tend to fight the truths we don't like, or ignore them, or cover them up, or scramble harder to be good, because the truth scares us. But climate healing does not happen without truth-telling. Repaired relationships do not happen without truth-telling. Getting healthy physically or mentally does not happen without truth-telling. We think we can run away from it, and a lot of the messages we hear in various places in our lives tell us we can. But church, my campus minister used to say a whole lot in college, church is a place where we tell the truth. Church is a place where we tell the truth to God, to each other, and to the world. Church is a place where we say, I'm sorry, a lot. Jesus says, if you are brave enough to confess, if you are brave enough to stand before God with your whole self just as you are, well, have I got the best surprise in store for you. Grace unimaginable. Forgiveness into infinity. Absolute freedom. You can actually set your burdens down and let them go instead of hauling them around in the cover of night, terrified that someone will notice. We're invited to stop pretending, to stop desperately proclaiming to the world that we are so okay and tell the truth. I'm a sinner, the tax collector yells out outside the temple. I'm a sinner, God, have mercy. Have mercy. And he walks away free. Meanwhile, the Pharisee stays buttoned up and proper. He says his pious prayer, and then he goes back to dragging himself through two fasts a week his extensive to-do list of visible good deeds, sweating it out, trying to be better than average, hoping to keep his balance sheet of virtues and sins in the black. The Pharisee walks out of the temple just as bound up in the grip of his self-consciousness and deep unspoken fear of failure as he was when he walked in. But the tax collector, whose prayer was short and convicting and honest, the tax collector walks out free. The Lutheran preacher Nadia Boltz Weber writes in her blog, being good doesn't make you free. The truth makes you free. First John says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess, then God who is faithful and just forgives our sin.
And so how do we pray in this way? How do we say sorry to God? Last week, we talked about how we say thank you to God with more than words. And this week, in thinking about the sorry prayer, it's kind of a similar idea. Maybe being honest before God is less like a laundry list you might rattle off in a confession exercise, and more like the way we talked about prayer that first week of our series, that turning toward the light, toward the love of God. Prayers of sorry are a turning toward the truth, an inching into the light of truth that scatters all of our shadowy dishonesties that we cling to so closely. The capital T, truth of God, is a light that dispels our cover-ups and our white lies and convenient forgettings and fears and grudges that hang out in the dark corners. The truth is a light. We're a little reluctant to hang out in that light, maybe, maybe because we've gotten used to the way things are in the comfort of the shadows, hoping no one will see what's broken about us if we appear just good enough. We stay out of the light because we're afraid that it will be a harsh light, that it will be damning and shaming, and we might be cast off to be as alone as we're afraid we really are. But the bedrock of our faith, the absolute essence of who we believe God to be, is mercy. The basic tenet of Christianity is that this light, this truth, is here to set us free and not to condemn us. This light is not harsh. It is life-giving like that sunlight that the flowers so naturally turn toward, knowing that they need it. And so what is asked of us, I believe, is to bravely step into the light, to practice telling the truth, saying our sorries with word and action. And what is promised is that we can become more than one-dimensional versions of ourselves who always say we're fine. What is promised is that we can become more than trying to be good. We can become real, real people, here at church and out in the rest of the world, too. There's that passage from the book, The Velveteen Rabbit, that it gets read at weddings sometimes. It's a conversation between the stuffed rabbit and the skin horse about how you get to be real. Does it happen all at once, the rabbit asked, or bit by bit? It doesn't happen at once, said the skin horse. You become It takes a long time. That's why it doesn't happen often to people who break easily or have sharp edges or who have to be carefully kept. Generally, by the time you are real, most of your hair has been loved off and your eyes drop out and you get loose in the joints and very shabby. But these things don't matter at all because once you are real, you can't be ugly except to people who don't understand. Once you are real, you can't become unreal again. 
You become real over a long time and sometimes it hurts. And when you become real, all your imperfections are out in the open. Your hair is all loved off and you droop and you look a little shabby. And all of who you are is just kind of out there. But it doesn't matter because when you are real is when you can realize just how loved you are. Jesus came so that we might have life and have it abundantly. Jesus came so that we could be free, so that we could say sorry, so that we could be honest and not be afraid. For our prayers today, we're going to spend a minute together first in silence to be with the truth. Whatever truth it is that is shining in you, to be with it, to notice what's in your corners, in the shadows. You can pray a traditional prayer of confession if you like, or you may just sit in silence. At the end of the silence, I'll lead us to sing the next hymn, which is a prayer for mercy, Kyrie eleison. It's in the faith we sing. I invite us to be in silence together.
don't forget to join us for prayer beads and coffee or snacks. If you don't want to do the prayer beads, you can still have coffee or snacks. Our service and outreach committee is having a meeting, so one of the prayer bead tables will be a multitasking service and outreach discussion while making prayer beads. And so if you're curious about what that committee does or want to sit in on that, you are more than welcome. As you go out into this day, I pray that you will be able to speak the truth and to receive it from someone else with grace. And may that truth set you free. Go in peace. Amen. NBUMC Weekly is a production of North Bethesda United Methodist Church, located in Bethesda, Maryland. Follow us on YouTube and Facebook at North Bethesda UMC or on Instagram at Loving All Neighbors. All music is licensed via Christian Copyright Licensing International, CCLI. <laughs>